0: Welcome to Keep It 100 Podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Join us in this space where we take on real issues with real insight and a real inspiration. This podcast is for those not looking for temporary relief to change circumstance, but revelation to forever change lives. Hey, Keep It 100 Tribe, welcome to another episode of Keep It 100. (laughs) This is your boy, Sean, and I got your girl, Krista, right over here, and we're excited to come at you. What an incredible month, right? We had a great Valentine's Day. just want to throw that out there. We just tried to do something different. Valentine's Day, I know we're a little late to the game to tell you about it, but this is our first podcast after it. We just had a good little brunch together in a new place that opened up. Just spent some time kind of dining, looking at each other's eyes, and just appreciative of the love and the just a special connection that god has given us huh
1: it was it was really great and just a few days before that it was my birthday that's right and it was i just want to thank everyone i had so many people reach out to me i had so many dms and messages and shout outs and just thank you for celebrating and just for taking time to really make me feel loved and celebrated it was amazing so i went from super bowl sunday which was my birthday february 11th right into valentine's day with you and you, like you said it was really special it was awesome so we just we had a great week. It was like a week of celebration.
0: Oh, it was amazing. And we're excited. That we're going to be talking to you on this episode on communication. But before we do that, Krista, you were at a phenomenal event in Colorado Springs. That's right. Why don't you tell our listeners about it?
1: Yeah, you know, I, I love being a part of what's going on, you know, kind of across the nation. Lou Engel is heading up. He had a conference called 222, and it is something that he's had for years. But it's with the intention to mobilize the Esters and the Mordecais for this moment. And so on October 12th, 2024, and I'll talk about this in some later episodes. We are gathering a million women in the mall in DC and really believing for women to be released and empowered and for there to be a day of intercession and repentance and really calling the nation back to God. And so we're just really excited to see what God's going to do as a million women, prayer warriors, mama bears get together and just contend for what God's going to do. But it's not just a women's gathering, it's also for Mordecai. So, all that being said, in 222, this past weekend, that was really a beautiful gathering in Colorado Springs where we got together and there's quite a few of us that have championed this cause and are carrying this cause within us and just believing in the movement. And I was asked to speak and I actually talked about God is raising up the spiritual midwives in our nation at this hour and everything that that means, which I won't take time to unpack that. Maybe that's a later episode, but I released that word. And then there were so many other people sessions I was able to sit in. There was so many beautiful testimonies of restoration. They addressed um, sexual abuse in the church. It was just powerful. It was topics that I haven't heard really talked about on a corporate level that I really found so impactful, so needed for right now that they have to be addressed by the church. I, uh, One of my dear friends, Laura, she led us into a time of intercession and the weeping prophets coming back. It was incredible. Travail broke in the room and it was just really profound. There was activists and women and people that have come out of the LGBTQ. QT community uh, that are overcomers Come and on. are just walking in their full identity, fully restored, loving God, living for God, and ministering to people still in that community and still a part of that lifestyle. So this collective group of women from all different walks came together, and it was really a profound weekend. I was so honored to be in the room, is how I felt. So I really felt like I got um, just marked um, as I just gathered, and I'm so expectant for October 12th. And so if you if If you would like more about that, I'll be talking more about that in weeks to come on social media, but I really want to invite you to join me and a million other women October 12th, 2024, as we gather and just believing for a nation that can be saved in a day.
0: That's amazing. I heard great reports. Different people were texting me and telling me how powerful it was and particularly how powerful, Christy, your session was. And I actually caught a clip of it. Uh, You were fire. It was awesome and amazing. AK 100 Tribe, we're going to jump into this topic of Communication. it's such an important topic for multiple reasons. We know that the hinge point of all relationships is based on communication, because if you're not able to communicate, uh, there is division that comes in. And, you know, you could even see this as early as the garden, right? Right after Adam and Eve fell, uh, they were in Eden, and the uh, the Garden of Eden means pleasurable. God had them in a pleasurable place, but all of a sudden, uh, they started to have uh, enmity between. First of all, God and man, that's when Adam and Eve fell. And then there were enmity between each other. They start blaming one another. And then ultimately, God's curse was that he would put enmity between the enemy and the woman's seed. So that kind of right there just showed us that there was a communication breakdown first with God. Then there was a communication breakdown between man and woman. And then ultimately, there's warfare that will continue on between the enemy. And so all of that simply to say, communication is something that was originally Intended by God to keep our relationships in Eden. That would be and mean pleasure or pleasurable, but the enemy fights against it. And uh, poor communication is in fact, I think a panacea today. It is something that is responsible for so many drop-offs. It really is the topic of this podcast. And and there's just so many things that you could say about that.
1: You know, when we're talking about the area of communication and we are going to focus this conversation toward marriages, but I also want those listeners that find themselves single or not in a romantic relationship right now, this still applies to you. All the principles and the truths that we're talking about today really are essential and even fundamental for all the key relationships in your life. Strong communication, clear communication, effective communication is something that truly is learned. Some people truly may be a little bit more natural at it, but I really believe that clear, effective, strong communication is a learned behavior. No one is nailing it out of the gates. Everyone has to learn this skill. This is humanity, right? And so I want to encourage you wherever you're at in the journey of communication. Some of you are like, I've been told by friends or maybe previous relationships that I'm not strong strong in communication. I want to encourage you today as a listener that this is something you can actually improve. This is actually something you can actually change in your life. There are some things that are out of our control and out of our hands, but strong and good, effective communication is within your control. Yes.
0: And you know, we know this, good communication deepens a bond. Yeah. So if good communication deepens a bond, then it's safe to assume that bad communication corrodes a bond.
1: Yeah, that's right. And so
0: this thing about communication is so, so powerful and it really is. It's the single most important ingredient for a long-term marriage, for a good relationship is communication, someone once said, is to love what blood is to the body when it's stops. Flowing, you die.
1: That's it. I mean, I tell you what, you know, what's interesting is we're talking about some studies, and some of the studies and the results of those studies are pretty alarming. One of the studies that came back with the results that were pretty astonishing is that 67.5%, so let's say 68% of marriages that ended, did so primarily due to communication problems. I thought that was astounding. That number was really high to me. I'm like, communication problems? You know, I mean, that's, wow, that feels so fixable. And the truth is, it is. Communication is the foundation of any successful relationship. And we know this, but you have to really make effort to, to be strong in communication. It allows... Allows for strong bond that encourages the growth over that bond over that time, and so the question we have to be asking ourselves is what kind of communication are you participating in? Because that type of communication you're participating in is what actually creates the culture you're living in. Wow! Right? Yes. So whatever type of communication you're participating in is the type of culture you're living in. So I want that to soak in because that really is the essence of what we're talking about today. Because if you want strong healthy relationships then you have to have strong healthy communication if you want on- honest open vulnerable relationships then you have to have open honest and vulnerable communication every characteristic that you want in your relationship has to be modeled in your communication and i don't think people understand that baby i don't think people get that it's like what you want the characteristics the feel the atmosphere like the, you know the next generation saying the vibe that you- you want your marriage to have, it must be modeled in the way you communicate. If you want a marriage that is strong in compassion, that has a lot of mercy, right? Guess what? Your communication must be undergirded with compassion and with mercy. Everything you want your relationship to have, your communication must model. I cannot emphasize that enough. That I want to be a light bulb for some people today. I want that to be a light bulb that goes on today where you're like, oh my gosh, i never thought about it that way. And so look at, and maybe even ask yourselves for the first time, what do I actually want my marriage to look like? What do I want my significant other's relationship to look like? Does my communication get us there? Does it actually match that intention?
0: That is so profound. And that really puts in a nutshell where we're going and we're going to unpack different things that will help you. And so obviously you may be driving right now. You may be doing something else, jogging, taking a walk, walking the dog, doing a prayer walk. You got something in your ears, but later on, you may want to listen to this again and take some notes. We want to give you some stuff that will help. You know, I think a good scripture to undergird what you're talking about, Chris, is, is Proverbs 12, 18, and it says, Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. And I started thinking about, wow, reckless words pierce like a sword. The tongue of the wise brings healing. So for all intents and purposes, our words are either a bomb, B-O-M-B, or a bomb, B-A-L-M, as in a healing bomb. It's either a ticking time bomb or a bomb that brings <laughs> healing, according to that's that scripture. Good, that's good, And stop and think about what is the biggest problem affecting your relationships right now? How will you increase those relationships? And the answer over and over again is communication. And they did this study, and some of this came from a Focus on a Family survey. They did this study of boys and girls, and they found out that boys, 50% young boys, obviously, they're talking, but 50%, they're making noises, they're imitating cars, and 99% of girls use words. Words. And I just noticed, you know, in the air of communication, women are so much better at opening up and communicating. I mean, two women, they can, first of all, they can handle a lot more tension, I think, than guys t- can. Two women, they can take their hoops off, practically catfight and be like, girl, you want to get together next week, right? In the same scenario, right? Two men, they'll somebody want to pull a gun and start a war. I mean, and your blood pressure in a guy just goes up. Well, let me kind of give you some specifics, things that I think will help you, because these are, in fact, what not to do. Sometimes it helps to know what not to do before we talk about what to do. So there are some poor habits of communication. If you're in a relationship, and as Chris just said, some of these will pertain, uh, uh, at least our reference and the way we use it to people that are married, but actually it applies and it's broader. But first of all, don't use absolutes. Yeah. Like when you go stuff like you never, or you always, you know, as, as much as possible, never say never and never say always, which I just violated that whole thing. Because in, in the heat of a moment, it's easy to think throw out these absolute phrases, And the moment you do, you put the other person on the defensive. And if the whole goal of communication is to be a bridge, you will fail to make the connection with people when you use absolutes.
1: You know, it's really true. And I think in the heat of the moment, sometimes you're not even aware you're saying this. So I think to have a culture within your marriage where you can actually go time out, stop, hold on. You just you actually used a word that we've agreed to not use. So great example is we were having a conversation, Sean and I one time, and I actually used the word all always or never. I don't remember what it was now, but Sean, because we have that culture in our marriage, we don't use absolutes. He said, hold on, you just use that word. I hadn't even realized I used it. I wasn't even aware. It just came out and I didn't, I didn't realize that. And of course that isn't fair, is it? So when you use an absolute, you put someone in a corner and you paint a picture of them that does not give them an option to be anything other than that thing that you're saying, which isn't accurate. No one is always all the time something and they are never ever, you know, something all the time. So the absolutes create no room for evolving, no room for change, no room for variation, and it just isn't accurate. So what it does is when you use the absolute, it puts someone on the defensive. The last thing you want to do with communication, especially when you're trying to resolve conflict or just have healthy communication in your marriage, for that matter, you don't ever want to put someone on the defensive. What an absolute does is it puts someone in a corner and they instantly feel misunderstood understood, not seen and accurately described. So if you do that, what's great is Sean was able to say, hold on time out. He said that I was able to correct that and go, wow, you know what? I didn't even realize I said that. I'm so sorry. That's not fair. And it's inaccurate. So then I was able to retract and restate. And so you want to be able to have boundaries within your communication that makes it feel fair and where people feel seen. I think,
0: and that's so like, right. You just elucidated and broke that down in such a profound way. I love, that. I'd say another thing that is a poor habit of communication is don't get historical. And in relationships, stay in the moment, whether that's a work relationship, whether that's a romantic relationship, whether that's a relationship with your neighbor, or definitely, you know, someone that you have romantic interests in, because it's unfair to constantly bring up the past. The best thing to do is just deal with the issue at hand. If you go historical, uh, somebody's usually gonna get hysterical, right? Because the moment you start getting historical, again, you not only now have pushed the person in a corner but it begins to feel like an assassination. And no one's going to communicate when they feel assassinated or basically uh, when they don't feel safe. When people don't feel safe, they're not going to truly authentically communicate. And then all of a sudden you have taken off the gloves because you've gone historical. And now I'm going to take off the gloves and we're throwing blows back and forth when we should be sitting down and really trying to talk. And so this thing of getting historical is something that Krista and I, we've learned. And Krista, just early on, you know, in our marriage, she just talked about, hey, we're, we're not going to keep a laundry this. We're not going to kind of keep this thing of, hey, you owe me now. I got to do this and do that. When you do that, even if you get them to do what you want them to do in the short term, trust me, you are eroding something in the long term that the price is too high. You simply don't want to get historical.
1: It's really true. And maybe some of you are more familiar with this term. We're using the word historical, uh, but another way to say it, and maybe it's relatable to you, is don't scorekeep. Leave scorekeeping to the kids' sports, right? You don't want to leave that on the field. And scorekeeping, like Sean was said really well, uh, the only way you're able to not go historical, because I'm going to go back to that word because we really like that the, that word because it's like you keep bringing up history. I think that's a great way to look at it. You know, the only way you're not able to go historical is if you're regularly being honest and communicating. If you are not regularly communicating and being honest, it's going to be very difficult to not bring up I history, right? So it it creates an accountability if you do not want to be... His- historical, you don't want to score keep, then that means you're going to actually have to be honest on a regular basis about things because things build up, things happen, things have to be talked about. And it's just truth. Ladies, we have to talk about things. We are processors and uh, maybe not every woman. I know some women don't process as well as maybe they should. And some men don't process as well as they should, but we should all be processing. We should all be talking things through, especially if you want a successful, successful relationship. So you have to do that on a regular basis basis. When you don't do that, things build up. That's when you automatically want to pull a pattern. You want to create a case like a lawyer. You want to declare like, this is true because this, this, and this. But if you're talking as things happen, you're actually eliminating that behavior from your marriage.
0: You know, and even to to kind of close that one thought up, you know, when the Bible says that when God forgives us, he separates our sins as far as the East is from the West, which obviously it's a metaphor, it's a hyperbole for it's forgotten, it's covered. And if the Lord doesn't go historical on us. He covers it by the blood, and he stays in the moment with us. and And he's the ultimate communicator. Then we should also model the same. You know, unhealthy communication has other faces. So let me get to the next face. Don't name call. Ooh, like when you name one. call, yeah. man. I mean, that is probably so detrimental. Detrimental. So detrimental. It is so demoralizing. You just feel like when someone will, will call you, and sometimes we do it just saying we're playing with our our friend. We're playing with our wife, our girlfriend, our boyfriend, or whatever, our husband. And in fact, no, you're damaging yeah. that person in relationship. And it goes back to a verse in Ephesians that says, uh, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification, according to the moment. In fact, the Bible tells tell us, definitely don't name call. If anything, uh, we do just the opposite. We call them up. We don't call them out. But anyway, just think about how often maybe you might say, or someone might say, or you've heard, why can't you be more like, boom, or you're actually... Acting just like your mother, your father or boom, those kind of phrases are not constructive as much as possible. Get rid of those phrases. You got a cute little pet name for a person and think of how endearing that sounds and how much they enjoy it. Well, now replace that with a criticism word. And just think about every time you're using that, all of us can be recalled being called names. Nobody likes being called names. And so lose that thing. You remind me of your mother right now. Ooh, like,
1: oh, my, 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 my. That's
0: not going to help the no, I
1: mean, those are so destructive and much more destructive than people realize. When you name call, and I'm going to go ahead and add this in because obviously Sean and I don't believe in cussing and all of that. And we certainly uh, don't allow that in our home. But for those that maybe that is uh, something that's frequented in your home and you've allowed cussing or swearing, especially in conflict, I really want to encourage you. If you want the devil in your marriage, then use his language. But if you want God and your marriage, then use God's language. come on. Right? Yes. I I mean, it's essential because I think that we have to understand what God was so intentional with names. Yes. He's so intentional with names. So what we call each other is so essential and it sets an atmosphere. It sets a tone. And yes, you can ask for forgiveness, but those words are out there in the atmosphere. You want to be so intentional about what you release in the atmosphere, what you speak over each other.
0: That is so, I want to throw out another uh, aspect of poor communication. Don't threaten. In the heat of conflict, you're tempted to say, if you do this, I'm walking out, or this is the last straw, or I've had it, I am not going to take this anymore. If you're always threatening to leave or to give up, uh, what you're doing is, first of all, you're causing the other person to not take you serious on the subject you're dealing with. But the other thing is you're you're essentially communicating to that person, I don't care anymore, and I'm not going to work on this. So what does the other person do? They shut down, they go into their shell, and then they start threatening. And then after a while, you begin to eat the fruit of your mouth. You start saying, I'm going to leave, I'm going to leave. You actually do. You may be in the same room, but you've isolated yourself. You've done other things that now, you know, has so further alienated that person. And, you know, I heard, I think Ruth Graham, she was in an interview uh, when she was asking when Billy Graham obviously was alive and she they said, have you ever considered divorce? She said, uh, murder, yes, but divorce, no. <laughs> and I, I love that because she's just said, obviously she's tongue in cheek humor there, but she's saying, no, we don't, we don't even use that word. Chris That's and I, right. we don't use that word. That's right. If you're seriously building a relationship with someone that you're wanting to it to enter into a covenant relationship. In other words, you guys want to get married eventually. You got to begin to practice this stuff now. If you have mm-hmm. a friend and you're just saying, you know, whatever. I mean, hey, if your friend over a period of time has proven that maybe they're not supposed to be in your inner circle, you need to be honest and have that kind of conversation or, you know, do that. But don't threaten them all the time in a way that would manipulate behavior to get what you want out of them. That is counterproductive to deepening relationships, one. And on the other hand, other end, it could go to the place of manipulation and witchcraft. So don't threaten.
1: You know, it's really true because Sean alluded to this earlier. Relationships that are solid, that are strong, that go the distance are ones that are safe. And when you're being threatened, there's nothing safe about that. It's manipulation, it's control. It doesn't have the fruit of the spirit. Where's Jesus in that, right? Jesus, through he you feel always feel safe with the presence of God. So if you are in a relationship and you're in a marriage that constantly have threats. I would encourage you um, get some outside help, get some marriage counseling, get some people that are speaking into that because you've got to break that cycle. If you have a carrot that's being dangled every time you don't behave right, or you respond right, or you're the one that is doing the threatening and you're dangling that word divorce, or I'm going to leave or, and you're doing it all to get what you want or to get behavior that you want in the long run, you know, that's not going to work because you wouldn't have to keep using the threat to get what's not Happening, right? You're not getting it. It's not going to happen through threats because no one is going to long term have transformation or change you know, if they are constantly feeling threatened or manipulated or controlled into a behavior, it's ne- you're never going to have a healthy relationship in that type of setting. So those are, those are some real red flags and that is super unhealthy, toxic communication behavior. And that is going to erode a healthy marriage. And for that matter, it won't, it will never help you get to a healthy marriage if that's what you're going for, which I think that's, you know, we can assume that's what everyone wants. So these are some real red flags that Sean has been talking about that if you see these in your marriage, these are things that need to be addressed right away. These are nine 9- one 9- 1- one because in the long run, they're going to dissolve a marriage that God wants to actually use and transform and move through. But when you're stuck in stuck in these fleshly cycles of unhealthy communication, all it does is erode what God is actually wanting to breathe upon.
0: So good if you want a positive relationship. Uh, you can't use negative words. And just like Chris has said, you're never, never. No, you're never, ever, ever. Never whatever that girl group was. I liked it. Anyway, finally, I would throw out there, don't put up a wall. Don't put up a wall. You know, a lot of people, they get angry. It's contempt. It's unspoken stuff. You got to begin to allow the negativity to, to simmer. And that, that long-term negative thought that simmer turns into disrespect. And then all of a sudden, that person tunes out the other person. And they crawl into the cave. They re- refuse to engage. We've seen that scenario way too often. So don't put up a wall. Don't store up anger. Address it in a godly way. Respond to it rather than immediately react. And sometimes it's manifest and putting up walls is manifest in withholding intimacy, you know, particularly obviously in the context of a marriage. And that is not going to work out right. Uh, they did a, uh, in 2023, in The Scientific, they had a, a research uh, test where they did it, and they realized that affectionate touch was robustly related to the degree of love reported between two partners. So in other words, physical intimacy, after all, was what distinguished marriage and romantic relationships from other relationships. And obviously marriage is going to be full blown, right? Uh, Yeah. Consummation. Yeah. And then just physical touch and other things in terms of other relationship, but physical touch is important. Mm -hmm. So when you withhold that in a marriage, you withhold intimacy from a partner. The bottom line is this report comes out to say that it negatively affects that relationship. You
1: know, as Sean says, you know, don't put up a wall. You, Some of you are like, I'm not putting up a wall. Well, I want to ask you a question when something doesn't go your way or your spouse says something you don't like or a situation ensues that you're you're not a fan of. Do you, do you punish people around you? Or do you give people the silent treatment? Do you avoid people? Do you, you know, go upstairs of your house or go in another room and close the door? Now, I understand sometimes you need a moment to cool off and there's wisdom in that. So there's a, there's a balance in what I'm saying. However, putting up a wall is actually uh, removing people's access to you. And so do you do that by silent treatment, by shutting down? Do you, you know what I mean? Like getting on all your electronics or diving into a project and going to work a lot early and coming home late. I mean, that is putting up a wall. So I want you to understand the practical ramifications and what this looks like practically because the metaphor of put up a wall, you're like, well, what does that mean? Right. Right? It's like you going to, going, you know, avoiding going to bed when they go to bed. It's not eating, sitting down and eating meals, it's eating meals on the run. It's uh, not allowing conversation to happen or not hanging out or you already have plans with other people, right? Do you see what I'm saying? You're not giving opportunity for connection and intimacy because you don't want to deal with them or they've done something you don't like. So you're punishing them. That's called putting up a wall. And, you know, Sean talked about something, one of the biggest uh, clear uh, com- communications of, you know, just a regular relationship it, it, to a marriage is physical intimacy. And obviously with a marriage, it's that consummation, it's making love, it's having that ha- healthy intimacy that God created to be such a blessing. And when you withhold it, some of you are like, well, I don't withhold it. You know, like I'm available. Well, do you pursue your spouse? Because withholding it isn't just the 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 word no. Withholding it, I'm going to actually take it farther and say, not pursuing your spouse, not showing affection, not initiating affection, come on, husbands, come on, wives, you know, like you showing that physical affection is one of you always the one that's bringing it up is one of you, uh, typically the one that has the pattern of like suggesting, making love or going out on a date or being romantic. Cause if one of you in that marriage is more the initiator, I want to challenge the other one. You got to step up your game. If, if you want intimacy in your marriage and you want healthy intimacy, this is both of you. One of you, it might be more natural, but that does not get permission to the other person to just wait on the initiator. Well, it's been that way for 15 years. It's been that way for 20 years. He always initiates. She always initiates. You know what? I want to call you higher. You, you, you've you got to pour into your marriage. You need to step up. You need to put on your big boy and big girl pants and begin to pursue intimacy because God has given you a gift. And for you not to take advantage of it, man,
0: what a miss. You know what, boo, what many people don't realize or know about you is that your major was communication. Mm-hmm. So I just want to pitch you this part. What are now, we told people some habits of poor communication. What are some principles of positive communication that people and our listeners can utilize?
1: You know, I think this is something that people really underestimate and often miss. And that is what you say is obviously very important. We just broke that down and we could talk about that extensively. But what's equally as important is when you say it. So not, not just what you say, but when you say, and I would say, this is probably one of the been one of the most difficult for things for me in marriage. And that's because I am a verbal processor and Sean is a verbal processor to a point, but you're also internal processor. You're very kind.
0: I'm you probably, are, you are. <laughs> a major internal. Huh?
1: <laughs> he's in it. He's more of an internal, but you can, you know, verbalize yeah. as well, yeah. of course. Um, but I'm very much a verbal processor. So I simply say that I had to learn the timing to communicate to my husband and we all are best when we're rested, right? Everyone is better when they're rested. Everyone is better when they're not in a rush, when there's a slower moment. The problem is life doesn't always accommodate that. So if you find yourself in a season of your life where you're running, the kids have demands, you have demands, uh, you guys are coming and going. It's very hard to find that silent, quiet, peaceful space where there's a you know, that perfect opportunity for a conversation. That's just not super realistic. But what is realistic is to set a time to have a conversation, right? To set a time to say, Hey, I have to talk to you about a couple of things. Um, and maybe you want to share what those are. So you give them a heads up. Some people do better if they have a heads up and they're not blindsided in a conversation, right? You're like, hey, I have to talk to you about this, this, and they can begin thinking it and giving thought to it. You guys are both coming in, prayed up, spent time with Jesus coming in, loving God, loving one another, but timing's key for successful communication. It cannot be underestimated. So picking the right time, but also picking the right place. If your home is, is chaotic, that is not a place to have a intentional conversation. You know, go to that local spot, you know, that you love, the coffee shop that has the quiet table, or you know, go to the church if you are, you know, or connect to your church, get a little side room, go on a walk outside, just go and move. Sometimes moving is actually really good, so you're not just sitting there stationary with a bunch of information coming to you. Some people think better as they're moving. Yeah, You know, there's, there's ways to find that right space, so look think about timing, think about location, That can actually be the difference between being heard and your words missing the mark. So that's how important it is. Many times a day we speak and we believe that our message was delivered, but it's unfair to assume that just because you said it it was actually heard and integrated. Isn't that tricky? You're like, but I told you, it doesn't actually mean the person heard it and absorbed the information. And this is especially true if you're trying to communicate during, during periods of life and chaos and morning routines and comings and goings and just jumping on flights or whatever, you have to understand that that is why active listening is so key. So what's active listening? Active listening is a, Hey, did you hear what I just said without it being defensive or accusatory? It's like that you can often say, Hey, let me repeat back to you. And I know it sounds formulized and a know it is a bit, but it is a healthy practice to make sure that what you heard is being communicated and what you communicated is being heard. And so that's an important process for people to understand that that active listening, this is What I feel like, okay. What did you think I just said? This is what I felt like you heard what you just said, and you repeat it back. And if it's correct, you're like, awesome, yep, totally. And then you guys actually plan action points. You're like, what am I going to do with the information? So you don't just want to be hearers of information; you actually want to be doers of information. How does that information get applied? And so these are that's really important in healthy marriage conversation, but for that matter, any relationship in your life. What you say is important, but when you say it, and then finding out. It was heard, Mm. right? You got to follow up. You got to ask the questions. Okay. So are there any questions about what I said? Right. Is there any clarifications that's needed? And for those that find that difficult to be in those type of conversations, this is going to be stretching, but it's going to be worth it because you're going to get the relationship you want as a result of this. You're going to be more connected. You're going to be more vulnerable. You're going to be more honest. You're going to have a deeper marriage. It's what you want. So it's going to be stretching, but the end result is worth it. Okay. So another thing, to consider. So we talked about timing. We talked about location. Now we're going to talk about your partner's mood. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you have the day planned. You've waited a week to talk about it. (laughs) And they got the worst news that day. It's not a great day. You're going to have to be flexible and recognize what just took place in their life is not going to give you an optimal, optimal end result. So there has to be a, a flexibility in your communication as a spouse, because what does that do? It shows compassion, sensitivity, and empathy in a marriage that you go, you know what? I actually care about you and actually want you to thrive and be successful in this conversation. And I recognize I'm not setting you up for success if I still require you to have this conversation. I love you enough that we're going to postpone this and we're going to find another date and I'm going to be okay with that. I'm not going to punish you. I'm going to say, you know what? I'm going to show you compassion because I want our marriage to be one that's flexible, prefers you and honors you. And these are things, that we don't understand that right timing at the heart is an exercise in empathy and understanding. And it is so essential in a marriage.
0: I love that. And I think I would just add to that. And I think you're saying if something has happened and so now you're saying, hey, we can't talk about it today. I think you owe it to that other person to tell them when would be a good time. That way it just doesn't continually float along and then you're not addressing it.
1: That's it. It's like, and even if you don't have the answer that day, like Sean said, it's so great. It's like, hey, let's... I. I know we were going to talk today. Can we connect tomorrow and figure out a new time? So you're giving them, Hey, tomorrow we're going to find a new date. So even if you don't have the answer in that moment, cause maybe you're so overwhelmed, but you recognize you're putting, you're postponing something that's really important to your spouse. Say, Hey, let's, let's find a new date tomorrow. The timing is essential in healthy communication. Okay. So the next thing I want to address, the next key is nonverbal. Your nonverbal communication is huge. Did you know that 80% of our communication is nonverbal. That means the things you're not saying. So what is nonverbal? It's your facial expressions. Come on, somebody, you know, Bruno Mars, he says, girl, fix your face, you know, right? (laughs) It's like, we all have those fix your face moments where your face is not lying, but your face has to show compassion, empathy, that you're, you care and you're interested. The message you're sending nonverbally to your spouse, to your partner, to the people that you love, to your family, your friends, when they're talking to you, when they're sharing your heart, you have to be able to have an expression that says, I'm open. I'm teachable. I'm, I'm, I'm interested. Eye contact. Come on, somebody get off your screens, shut off the TV, close the computer, get off your phone and give the person you love the due attention that they deserve, right? Come on, somebody body movement and posture. We all know if someone's like bent over, uh, arms are crossed, you know, uh, the way they, sit, they walk, they stand, they hold their head. The way you move and carry yourself communicates a wealth of information to the world. <laughs> this type of nonverbal communication, you know, it's your bearing, your stance, subtle movements, all those things is so important. And the next thing talking about nonverbal is gestures. Gestures are woven into the fabric of your everyday life. You wave, you point, you use your hands when arguing. I'm, I'm such a pointer, but it's not a negative thing. But if someone didn't know me, right, they could view that as... aggressive. So I have to watch that. I have to be aware of what my nonverbal communicates. When you're expressing yourself, be aware of your gestures. You want to be someone that's warm, open, not hostile, not aggressive. So your body language has to communicate that, right? So you have to understand that your gestures are important. And so, okay, last couple of nonverbals is eye contact. We all know that Uh, the visual sense is dominant for most people. Eye contact is a especially important type of nonverbal communication. The way you look at someone can communicate many things, including interest, affection, hostility, or attraction. Eye contact's also important in maintaining the flow of conversation and for gauging another person's interest and response. Super important. And then lastly is touch. And you, we all communicate through a great deal through touch. Think about the very various messages given by a weak handshake, but a warm bear hug, a patronizing pat on the head, Or controlling grip on the arm, right? Those are all touch that have very different messages. And so you have to really understand uh, these things that really add to your nonverbal communication. Lastly, there's space, right? When someone's up in your space and it feels like they're kind of coming up on you, that's right. That's a whole message, right? That they're communicating without saying a word. And then of course, your voice. It's not just what you say, it's how you say it. And when you speak, other people read your voice. In addition to listening to your words, things they pay attention to include your timing, your pace, how loud you speak, your tone, your inflection, and the sounds that convey understanding such as ah or uh-huh, that you're actively listening, you're paying attention. People are looking for you to hear them, to see them, to listen to them, to value them. And we do that not just in our words, but in your nonverbal friends, in a world that has is majorly in deficit of intimate communication. Communication of what we would call interpersonal communication. We live in a world where screens have replaced communication, where we live in a world where people are used to more talking to AI and artificial um, intimacy and communication. We are in a day where we must bring back strong, healthy communication. The importance of nonverbal communication is so key. And I hope you're really catching this today because your nonverbal communication. The way you listen, look, move, react tells the person you're communicating with whether or not you care, if you're being truthful, how well you're listening. When your nonverbal signals match up with the words you're saying, they increase trust, clarity, and rapport. When they don't, what do they do? They can generate tension, mistrust, and confusion. If you want to become a better communicator, it's important to become more sensitive not only to the body language and the nonverbal cues of others, but also to your own. You. have to become really aware of what you're communicating, not just with your mouth, with your words, but with your body. Everything about you is sending a message. Is that message communicating what you believe God wants you to communicate, right? Because we're talking about you have a responsibility to build a marriage that honors God. So when we're talking about healthy communication, we're going to end this podcast today with just a couple takeaways that I want to give you on how to cultivate good communication in your marriage. First of all, cultivate a culture of affirmation and gratitude. Friends, this is huge. When you have a natural, not forced, although at first it might feel a little forced, that's okay. Keep pushing through the awkwardness. When you have a natural culture of affirmation and gratitude, what does that look like? It's you affirming the amazing traits and person that your spouse is and the traits that they have. It's you constantly saying, You know what I appreciate about you? You know what I see? I see the effort you made. I really thank you for what you did here. I love how you did this. I love how you handled this. I'm so proud of you. You are calling out in them the gold. And in a world that wants wants to do everything but, you know, call out the gold, all they want to do is call out the dirt in the world that we live in today. Isn't it so awesome that if you're married to someone and have a marriage and have a home and have a relationship that isn't calling out the dirt, but is reminding You that there's gold in you and they believe in you and they support you. That culture of affirmation and gratitude is priceless. I tell you what, it is one of the greatest gifts of encouragement that we can give to one another is believing in one another, is encouraging one another. And when that becomes a natural rhythm and a natural way of communication within your home, it can be one of the best edifiers in a marriage. I tell you what, I am married to Sean Smith, as you know, and that man can encourage. If you ever want to feel better about yourself, just hang out with my husband. I tell you what, I mean, he's laughing as as I'm saying this, but it is so true. I mean, everyone always says that about Sean. He just is a natural Barnabas. He is an encourager and it's natural. It's not forced. He really does believe the best. When you begin to vocalize what you see in someone, what you appreciate in them, it keeps that at the forefront. You stop focusing on what they're not doing on what's not happening. And what does gratitude do? It keeps you focused on why you love that person, why you're grateful for them, what they are doing right. And I love that because what it does is it keeps the foundation of your marriage strong. It's so key. The second thing and the last takeaway that I want you to take away for today in talking about key things that can help your marriage is the power of giving your full attention. I hit the a little bit ago. I have to end with it because it is so key. Because we have to understand that screens are one of the greatest eroders of intimacy, okay? This is so key. There was a study that was found and the findings were striking, you guys. Most couples, 72% reported technoference, okay? Technology interference, technoference. Isn't that hilarious? I was like, yes, technoference, technology interfering in their interactions with their partner over the course of 2 weeks. More important, on the days that participants reported more technoference, they also reported more conflict over technology, less positive face-to-face interactions with their partner, and more negativity regarding their moods and feelings about their relationships. Screens can harm romantic relationships in many ways, and one of the most significant problems is that they can lead to a lack of presence and engagement during couple time when one or both partners are distracted by their phones, it can reduce the quality of their interactions and lead to feelings of being ignored and undervalued. Friends, are you catching this? If you are married and you find yourself on your phone or watching TV or on your computer, friends, there is a price you are paying that you may not even realize you're paying. When you repeatedly give your attention to that screen, you are literally giving the attention you should be giving to your spouse to technology. And we have to understand there is some things we've got to do. We have to put the phones down. We have to put the screen away. Uh, we have to recognize we are more willing to be more vulnerable when you have someone's attention. If you don't feel like you have someone's attention, then I'm not going to be vulnerable. If I feel like I'm with someone and I want to share my heart, but they're on screens and they're, they're kind of distracted all the time, guess what? I'm not feeling safe. I'm not feeling heard. I'm not feeling valued. I don't feel. Like, I have an on ramp into them right at that moment that I feel like, okay, this is an opportunity to talk to them. You know, I'm not gonna like open up my heart and talk about how I'm doing or unpack things. When there is screen time that is monopolizing when there could be potential interaction and communication and talk time, you are literally missing out on something called interpersonal communication, <laughs> which is you sharing your heart, you talking, you checking in. How is your day? How are you doing with this? I know you kind of mentioned like last week, this was kind of hard for you. You're following up. Remember when we used to follow up with each other? It wasn't like someone just mentioned something one time and then it just went away. You actually circled back to topics. Man, I feel so loved when someone circles back to me. I think many of you that are listening would agree with that sentiment. When someone follows up, they're like, hey, and they remembered what you shared and they ask and they follow up. There is something about that that feels so affirming. You feel so seen. You feel so heard. And so we have to understand. that one of the ways that screens and technology is robbing us is connection, is follow-up, is intimacy, is interpersonal communication. And so screens are one of the greatest enemies, I think, to intimacy. And I know some of you could be going, Krista, are you just anti-screens? No, no, of course. I have a phone and I watch TV and all the things, but we have, there's some practical things I want to leave today on the table for consideration from all the Keep 100 Tribe because I think there's an addiction among. Technology in us. And I think it's eroding so many relationships. And I think we just have to really, number one, establish some boundaries, really when it taught when it concerns screens and technology. Is there times where there's no screens allowed? Put the phones away, disconnect, and really just be present. Look at each other face to face. Pull your head up off the screen and look at the world around you and engage in it. Engage with the people, engage with your kids, engage with your spouse, be present during meals, date nights, intimate moments that the phone and screens are not present. There is just that being with each other that creates a sense of presence and engagement during quality time that is so essential for deepening the bond. Avoid social media scrolling, right? Social media can be a significant source of distraction in relationships, and couples can agree to limit social media use during quality time or to disconnect from social media altogether during designated times. Number three, use phone-free activities. Come on, somebody. Another way to reduce the impact of cell phones on romantic relationships is to engage in activities that don't involve phones. And this can include outdoor activities, playing board games, find a hobby together, go bike riding, do Krav Maga, come on somebody, go on walks together, walk the dog with your spouse, you know, just enjoy one another. All these activities where you're removing the phone helps create quality time and engagement without the distraction of technology. And then lastly, and I mentioned this earlier, but friends really at the end of the day, practice active listening. Active listening is a crucial component of any healthy relationships. And Couples can make a point to put away their phones, practice active listening during conversations, and this helps create a sense of trust and connection and reduces the likelihood of misunderstandings and arguments. So many times misunderstandings happen and miscommunication happens because we're distracted, we're busy, our lives are cluttered, our brains are cluttered, our emotions are cluttered because we have so much information coming at us. We're processing so much all the time. So then when our loved ones are talking to us, often we'll miss key things because we we don't even have the capacity to absorb what they're saying to us, or we're so distracted, we're missing those critical pieces of information and the ability to really connect. Friends, Sean and I love you all so much. We want you to have marriages and deep relationships that thrive, that connect, that build bonds with one another. Our hope in having this conversation with you today is that you actually evaluate what is the culture you're creating in your marriage? What is the culture you're creating with your loved ones? You want to be someone that's engaged, someone that's present, someone that is aware of the world around you, of what people are going through. We're not so distracted that we're not able to see the world around us and what people need. God has put us on this earth to love him and to love one another. Let us not miss this opportunity, but take advantage of who God has put in your life and look at the assignment that God has put upon you and the privilege to love those people. And as we sign off today, our hope and our prayer, is you take some of these tools and you begin to strengthen the relationships in your life. And for those that are married, we really want to see that God marriage thrive. And it's possible. Let's begin with strong communication.
0: Thanks so much for tuning into the Keep It 100 podcast. Make sure to rate, review, and refer us to your friends. And be sure to click that subscribe button so that you're alerted as soon as new episodes drop. Help us get the word out. Share this link on your social media platforms and check us out at KristasMith.com. You can also find us on Facebook at Sean and Krista Smith
1: Ministries. We would love to hear from you on how this podcast has impacted you. So be sure to show us some love. Thanks so much, Keep It 100 Tribe, for being with us for this episode. As we prepare for our next episode with you, just know you guys are so close to our heart. We're so grateful to have you in the Keep 100 Tribe. If this podcast is ministered to you in any way, we would love to hear your testimonies. You can email us at info at and we'd love to hear your testimony today. And remember, relief may change your circumstances circumstance, but a revelation will change you.
0: We hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Keep It 100 podcast with Sean and Krista Smith. Keep up with us on Facebook and Instagram at and seanandkristasmith.com, where you can discover more resources. If this podcast has impacted you, please subscribe and review wherever you listen to your podcast. Keep it 100.